Al Jazeera podcast. High hopes in Colombia as a six-month ceasefire with rebels begins. The ELN is the last remaining armed group operating there. But will this deal hold after others have failed? I'm Sahil Rahman, and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. So let's bring in our guests in the Colombian capital, Bogota, is Jorge Restrepo, director of the Conflict Analysis Resource Center. That's a non-governmental organization which studies armed groups. In Denver, in the US state of Colorado, is Elizabeth Dickinson, a senior analyst for Colombia at the International Crisis Group. Her work focuses on the dynamics of armed conflict. And also in Bogota is Laura Bonilla, deputy director of the Peace and Reconciliation Foundation. A warm welcome to Inside Story. Uh, Jorge, can I just come to you first with our first question? Because it doesn't matter where we are, ordinary people around the world hear that an armed group and a government have decided to talk to each other, they've laid down their arms, peace talks are ongoing, possibly a lasting peace, breathing a sigh of relief. No more civilians getting killed, no more innocents being kidnapped. Can we breathe a sigh of relief here, now, with this agreement between the Colombian government and the ELN? Yes, indeed, uh, and thank you very much for having us. Uh, yes, indeed, this is um, a sign of relief. It will be a temporary respite, nevertheless. This is more like a truce rather than a definite and permanent ceasefire in the sense that it will allow the, the government and the ELN, this guerrilla group, to conduct negotiations. A group, by the way, that has increased over the past seven months significantly its violent actions. And although it has reduced also significantly uh, the level of kidnapping and terrorist actions, it still conduct very many acts of violence that affect at least four um, rather large regions of the country. Elizabeth, can I ask you the same question? Yeah, absolutely. I, think, I mean, I think building on what Jorge said, this is an enormous win for the government. And I think what the ceasefire is more, meant to do more than anything is to create that space where negotiators can really start to discuss what it would look like to come to some sort of agreement. Um, I do think, though, that we have to be very clear about what this ceasefire is and it isn't. This ceasefire is specifically related to clashes between the ELN armed group and government forces. And the vast majority that's of violence that civilians in ELN areas experienced today is not related to that specific type of violence. It's mm. much more closely related to the ELN fighting other armed groups, to methods of social control, forced recruitment, extortion, kidnapping, things that aren't necessarily um, under the purview of the ceasefire. So I think it's a very important first step. Our message to the government and to the negotiators is that it is a first step yeah. and that the most important thing is to work towards bringing real relief to the civilians who are living in everyday conflict. And we'll unpick that, I think, question by question as we, as we go through the next half hour. Laura, can I bring you in again from Bogota? Good to have you with us on the programme, because you've heard that sort of first question. I mean, but past history tells us that really since 1964, the ELN, you know, were around and they've been in existence. A total of seven major negotiation periods have occurred historically. They've all failed. Um, it's not a great track record, is it, either for them or for government. So from where you're sitting, Laura, in Bogota, what do you want to see happen, certainly in the next few weeks? 
Well, uh, that is right. The ELN uh, had uh, has uh, approximately seven or eight peace processes or peace dialogues with different governments. And in all the cases, or the government or the ELN uh, commit sabotage against the, the peace process. But the point is that right now, uh, this specifically this process is more, I don't know, have more advantages than before. First of all, this is the first government that agreed that uh, the peace process with ELN will have a very broad participation from all the sides of society, which is really key for the ELN peace. And at the same time, the ELN see more connections or more possibilities to achieve uh, certain social changes, especially in territorial areas. That is the good side. In the not so good side, um, it is true that this is a very fragile process mm. due to several things. The first, uh, due to the untrustful, you know, uh, of ELN, especially of the leaders of ELN, and second, because the ELN is a very uh, decentralized armed group, so mm. it is possible that if the ELN have internal um, struggles, that uh, struggles will reflect in a you know, yeah. uh, physically on the ground as well. Yes. Yeah, uh, we'll get into the the, the 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 hierarchy of the ELN a little bit later as well. Uh, Jorge, can I just come back to you in terms of the immediate here and now? Uh, what positive what positive moves would you like to see by either side in the next one hundred and eighty days? Well, uh, the, the the government and the ELN also agreed to apart from an agenda, to conduct uh, what they call a participat participation process for the civilian society, particularly that uh, which are in the regions where the ELN has presence, to um, attain some sort of um, additional agenda, which is defined by the communities. That is what is going to be going on for the next few months. Uh, but I, I, would, I want to go back to the point that uh, Elizabeth mentioned, which I think is critical for the success of this peace negotiation, which is the fact that the ELN in every area where it operates in Colombia is facing uh, violent disputes with other groups. Most of them are criminal armed groups. Hmm. The ELN moved from uh, having a war against the state to have a, a war against or a multiplicity of wars against several armed groups. And the security apparatus need to address uh, those conflicts between the ELN and those groups. And that is a rather difficult objective to find, um, to find success by the national government. And again, Elizabeth, I bring you in here because, you know, the agreement doesn't really stop the ELN, as you suggested, and, and as all of our guests have said, you know, that the, the terror, the terrorization or the terror that is created by armed groups, whether it be attacks on the public, uh, kidnappings, I mean, there's been no mention of this in this truce. So that may still carry on. Uh, but it it's interesting to wonder how the president and the negotiating teams are going to tackle that. You know, no more terrorism, no more kidnappings, no more extortion. 
Well, it's particularly complicated because I think it's really important to understand what life is like in ELN areas. When we visit communities, for example, in a region like Arauca, which is a place where the ELN is quite consolidated, um, daily life really revolves around the control that this group exercises. So even simple things, for example, if I have a dispute with my neighbor over where my land ends and his land begins, I don't go to the police or the judicial system to um, adjudicate that dispute. I am go to the ELN. Um, the ELN are, are laying down justice. They are setting the rules of, of sort of commerce. Um, the levels of extortion have increased dramatically. And I think part of the clamping down that we've witnessed in ELN areas is precisely related to the threat that they have faced from other armed groups. Mm. And again, I think um, this is a very important point of the ceasefire. The ceasefire at this point offers the ELN a tactical advantage in the sense that it does free their hand to not worry so much about the military and focus on the threat that they're facing from other armed groups. So I think there is a risk here that despite the fact that we see lower clashes between the ELN and state forces, we could see an, in, an increase or um, a heating up of the conflicts between the ELN and other armed groups in their areas. Okay, Laura, uh, Laura let me bring you in here because uh, one wonders what has brought now both sides to the negotiating table is it a case that both sides realise they can't win the battle against one or the other and that they do have to talk to each other and there is an incentive for peace? There are benefits to putting your arms down. Well, if I understand well the question, uh, I want to say that there is two tables, two different tables in Colombia. So we are at the same time negotiating with two different groups. One of them is the ELN, and the second one uh, is a dissident group uh, coming from former FARC guerrilla. And that two processes are quite connected. So if one process, if the ceasefire with the ELN will be, you know, good, the second ceasefire also will be good. And if not, well, we will have uh, the situation that Elizabeth well described. We will see uh, an increase of violence. But on the other hand, we also can see a decrease of violence because uh, in the ceasefire with the ELN, in the protocols, in the specific protocols, there is included the accomplishment of international right of human rights. So it's not only that the ELN will uh, the attacks against the state. And at the same time, in the second peace table, they are also negotiating mm. uh, a ceasefire with the same conditions. Um, finally, in other regions, but uh, it's not the majoritarian presence of ELN, there is criminal gangs and different kind of groups. And in that part of the country, of course, the government and the security forces should be more present in the field in order to protect the ceasefire, but also in order to uh, recover the control of the territory, which right now is not in the hands of the state. Okay. Uh, Jorge, you were nodding in agreement. I think you wanted to come in there. A little bit on the fact that uh, on, on kidnapping, let, let, let me put it this way, the, the, the peace process um, with the ELN that has been successfully moved until now by this government uh, has, is very different from the one that we managed to get a peace agreement with the FARC and in one particular subject, which is the, uh, the fact that the FARC decided to abandon kidnapping, to release kidnappees that were in their hands well before the start of the negotiation. In this case, the ELN has not made any kind of 
political or public declaration that they will stop kidnapping. Then one of the main risks that this peace process will face will be the capacity of the ELN to control its groups. In the case, for example, that they decide to kidnap someone for ransom in the regions where they operate. That will send this process to a critical situation, um, especially because this process doesn't have the, the, the high support, political and public support by the citizenry in Colombia that had other previous peace processes. And, and I'm worried about that. Yeah, the fact that the ELN has decided not to abandon those atrocious mm -hmm. forms of violence, including terrorism and kidnapping, it, it's rather worrisome. Nevertheless, the protocols do say that the, the ELN cannot commit violations of the international humanitarian law, uh, including, of course, kidnapping and, for example, the recruitment of minors. Okay. Uh, uh, uh... Certainly, uh, Elizabeth is agreeing with you. I want to come back to, to you again in a moment here at Jorge, because, uh, Elizabeth, what's different about this um, peace agreement? It, and, and Jorge sort of slightly touched on it, about how the FARC reacted to wanting peace, to how the ELN is now talking peace. There, was, there, is a, there are very specific differences, aren't they, in the way that they are in communication with the government? Well, I think the first one and the most important, perhaps, is that the ELN watched the FARC negotiations and I think took many lessons from that that are now colouring the current process. And I think probably the one that will be the most definitive um, is that the ELN considers that the FARC gave up far too much and received far too little. And that has affected most directly the question of disarmament, which will inevitably be very difficult to negotiate. Um, and the ELN, at least at this point, talks about a gradual disarmament process rather than giving up their weapons all at once as the FARC did, um, but rather sort of handing in their weapons at the at the speed with which the government also complies with its, um, its part of the bargain. Now, this has advantages and disadvantages, and of course it's been done in many different peace processes. In Ireland, for example, the laying down of arms was gradual, um, and, and I think that this is something that's going to be a very major point of tension, more than anything else, with public opinion. Because of the precedent that was set with the FARC that there was an immediate handing over of weapons, I think that's the expectation of the Colombian public for future processes, but it's going to be very difficult for this government um, to make that argument with the ELN. And, and okay. you know, why have they taken the lesson? And I think this is a more broadly something that needs to be considered in these processes. It's because the implementation of the 2016 agreement with the FARC has been very slow. It's been behind schedule. There are many aspects that have fallen short. Um, and, and that is a concern. It raises questions about the credibility of the government to make commitments, just as it raises okay. questions about the ability of these different armed groups to make commitments. Yeah. Indeed, I mean, I say it raises huge questions. Uh, can I ask Lara in, in Bogota? Yes. It raises questions for the government, but it also raises questions for the public, doesn't it? In, from your opinion, from where you're sitting in Colombia, how are the public reacting to this? Well, it's, it's divided. You know, the public in Colombia is also, you know, it's divided, like with uh, the peace agreement, like regarding the peace agreement with FARC. Because on that time, remember that we both, against uh, the peace process with FARC. So the public opinion was not totally agreed with that peace process and is basically the same right now. So the society, the Colombian society is divided, the Colombian society is polarizing, and of course that will affect the possibilities of peace. But 
I also want to say, you know, uh, and to support Elizabeth on this, uh, the implementation of the peace agreement with FARC has been a total disaster, just because one point. Right now, we have more than 300 people who signed the peace agreement, you know, from far side, and they are now, they have been murdered right now. And this is the first that create an untrustful environment with ELN. So, of course, it's really difficult to recover that uh, trustful on government side. And in the other, you know, other aspects of the peace agreement also have a very slow implementation, and that has been the tradition historically with peace agreement in Colombia. So we sign peace agreements. We are quite good uh, with the mobilization, disarmament, and reintegration of ex-combatants, but we are quite bad guaranteeing the life of the people who are signing yeah. the peace agreements, and also we are quite bad guaranteeing the implementation of what okay. we are signing as a society. Well, uh, Jorge, I know you were sort of nodding and disagreeing, but I do want to move this on a little bit because it, it, I'm sure it's good, you're going to add into this uh, conversation because the difference between now and then is that you have yeah. a leftist president. You had a, a, a right-wing government and a right-wing president before. But to add to this, and just for our viewers, uh, you know, we want to, sh again, show them the presence of ELN in Colombia. We're bringing up a map for them. And the one thing about ELN, which is different to FARC, is that each area that they control is controlled independently. This is not a pyramid structure with one leader at the top, which hence makes negotiation even more difficult, doesn't it? Although over the past two years, I have to say that the ELN has managed to gain control and command uh, to, to all its fronts, even one minor front in the Department of Chocó, it's already under control of the uh, central command, the COSE of the ELN then I think that won't be the main difference. I will be the main difference that the ELN does not have that national reach, uh, that logistic, national logic, logistic structure. And of course, it, it's of very minor size uh, compared to what it was the FARC back then, which was a fighting guerrilla against the state. The ELN, on the other hand, is more radical, uh, close to fanaticism, I will say, then although there are very uh, large differences, I will say that most of those differences come from the political size or the political definition of the ELN, a guerrilla which is rather not so stick to ideology, to that peasant uh, defendant uh, structure that had the FARC. Okay. Um, and if you uh, allow me to go back to, to the previous point, what I just wanted to say is that uh, the ELN is not the, is not the utmost and most important problem for the national um, um, polity here in Colombia. Uh, there are other problems, including, for example, the growing by day scandal of campaign finance uh, that brought uh, the left-wing government of Gustavo Petro to the presidency and the indictment to its son. Indeed. I mean, let's bring in Elizabeth here, because the one interesting thing is that you have various presidents, Pastrana, Uribe, Santos, Duque, and now Petro. Petro has an advantage. He has been a, 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 a man who picked up arms and fought. He has a way, an understanding of talking to armed groups. Is that an advantage at this moment in time? 
Well, I think that's what the government came into office expecting. And I think, unfortunately, it's proven more difficult than they had anticipated. Um, you know, it, I think it does confer advantages in the sense that there is a level of understanding and also trust between the negotiating teams that is quite unique. At the same time, I, I, I fear that the ELN um, has a longer agenda with someone that they believe is, is more sympathetic to their causes. If you're negotiating with a hardliner, you're really going to pick what, you're, what, what points you're going to push for, where your red lines are, and what you really want. Um, but the fact that this government is sympathetic uh, in the sense, it just, it, you know, in, in the sense that there is an interaction and a trust that's been built, um, I think it, it, it does extend the agenda. Um, and I think in some ways it, it makes it uh, more complicated. It also, frankly, makes it harder to sell to that right wing part of the Colombian public, the skeptical part of the Colombian public, who fears that a peace deal between this government and the ELN will basically be handing the keys of the kingdom over to the, this guerrilla organization. Of course, that's not the case. It's never been the case. And I think the government's negotiating position has been very firm in this regard. Mm. But public perception does have its own a life of its own sometimes. Okay, Laura, can I bring you in here again from Bogota? Because obviously, you know, we've been talking ELN in government, but there are a lot more actors involved here. You've got the Cuban government who've been sort of negotiating and helping to nurture the talks. Interested parties like Venezuela on one side, the United States uh, further north. There are a lot of people who will or will not benefit from these two sides talking. But definitely, there is a lot of people that will not have benefits of uh, people talking or a peace process, um, but there is also more people that will be benefit, uh, you know, if the peace process uh, will succeed. Uh, regarding the United States, I think that this government have a very good approach to the ELM process and also uh, even to the public policy about uh, drugs and the war against drugs. Uh, of Petro government. So I think that Petro, you know, had a good management of the relationship with the, the United States. And also uh, he opened the border with Venezuela, which is true is that for me, the most important challenge right now in the process with the ELN is what to do with the ELN within Venezuela, you know, in Venezuela because the presence of this armed group is quite big on that country. And I think that no, uh, you know, no, the Colombian government or the Venezuelan government have accepted, you know, the level of the challenge here. Oh, it's great. So I've got Jorge uh, nodding his head in disagreement and Elizabeth nodding in agreement. So just very quickly, I'd like to ask about your comments to what uh, uh, Laura has just said. Elizabeth, let's have you first. Why were you nodding? Well, I think this is an enormous challenge and because this is a binational guerrilla movement with presence on both sides of the border. And, and there are real questions about whether I, I think the how you will deal with the ELN fighters who happen to be on the other side of that border. Um, but I wanted to make two really important points in that regard. The first one is that we've had, because of the opening of relations with Venezuela, um, something very important has happened at a low tech, uh, logistical and tactical level on the ground. For the first time in more than four years, military commanders on the Colombian side can now share information with their Venezuelan counterparts and vice versa. This is very important because guerrilla movements, not just the ELN, also FARC dissidents, other criminal organizations are constantly moving back and forth. The fact that we can now share information de-escalates the situation significantly. And that is a step forward in, in how we deal okay. with the complications of this, of this situation. 
OK, with that, sadly, we have to leave the conversation. It's a very interesting one. I'm sure we'll be coming back to it in 180 days when we have some sort of resolution to what's going to happen or how it's going to move forward. To my guests in Bogota, Jorge Restrepo and Laura Bonilla, and in Denver, Colorado, Elizabeth Dickinson. Thank you for joining me on this edition of Inside Story. This episode was produced by Mohamed El Aishi, Katia Lopez Hadoyan, Abla Kla, and Jim Gilchrist. Studio sound was by Suraj Senka. The programme was edited by Ahmed Ektfaga, Khalid Sultan, and Joe DeFries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every episode. Thank you for listening. Tune in on Friday for our next programme. This week on The Take. The story of a prisoner fighting to end solitary confinement in prisons across the United States. That's The Take by Al Jazeera. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.